Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Abe Degnan of Degnan Design Build. Abe is the president, visionary designer, and leader of the team. He also manages day-to-day business operations, and Abe is passionate about leadership, community service, and his family. Now for my conversation with Abe Degnan. Hey, Abe. Welcome. Hi, Spencer. Good to see you. Give everyone some context. Who are you? Where are you located and what kinds of projects you get guys up to these days? Well, my name is Abe Degnan and I'm the owner of Degnan Design Build Remodel and we're in DeForest, Wisconsin, which is the Madison metro area. And so I'm a second generation owner. My oldest son and my second son are both working either full-time or part-time in the company and moving on to the third generation. We're a design build company and, and you know, my one phrase tagline or one, my one phrase elevator speech is that we help people solve their problems and change their lives by remodeling their home. I like it. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Well, second generation. So how and when did the company start? Well, when I was five years old in 1981, just pretty suddenly one day, my father was, he was doing side jobs. He was working, he was working at Oscar Mayer of all places for quite a few years. And he decided that he had enough side work to make that into his career and he quit. And so I was five years old and I had been, you know, learning we're walking around. I'm the oldest child, you know, so I was doing stuff with him from the earliest days and that's how it started. And and so it all went from there. That's cool. Yeah. Many, I feel like so many businesses start with like a side hustle or just kind of that. And then as soon as you can make it the main thing, it's like, well, great, this is what I want to be doing. So, well, maybe share, share what you remember of kind of those early years. It sounds like you were walking around and, you know, at least like aware of, you know, some things that were going on from a a pretty young age. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, I can remember, I can remember things like in fourth grade, my father was building an addition and it was maybe, I would guess like a four mile bike ride from our house. And he had, he had cracked his ribs. I think he fell water skiing and cracked his ribs, but of course, you know, yeah, I mean, he had to keep working. He's a sole proprietor. He had to keep working. So my best friend and I, who were like fourth grade and fifth grade, we biked over and we helped lift the walls and tilt the walls up so that he could keep on working. And so, you know, that is certainly one thing about about what people need to do when they're starting out and and what you got to work through when you are supporting your family. And, you know, so there's a lot of stuff like that, cleaning up job sites, there's also times like, you know, the, the people that my father was working for who had kids my age 
and I'm there, I'm supposed to be helping clean up the job site or helping to do something or other. And in reality, what I'd rather do is play with that kid who's the same age as me. And, and so, you know, we got to have some opportunities like that because there were people that were friends of my parents or became friends of my parents. They hired him because they were his friends or they became his friends after they hired him. That's cool. Yeah. 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 You get to really know your clients at a really deep level, especially the bigger, the bigger the project, the more time you spend together. (laughs) Right. For sure. Yeah. Well, I guess you mentioned that he started and then he was like the only one running the show. Like when did he evolve to him maybe hiring or, or maybe you were the first hire or how did, how did it kind of pivot beyond one? We'll say. Well, you know, kind of throughout my childhood and through through high school, he had he had a, another guy who was actually like a carpenter for the railroad. That guy worked four tens, and then he'd he'd show up on Fridays and Saturdays, and you know, work another work another twelve sixteen hours with my father. You know, and so that was that was kind of like the first person who was there helping him regularly. He other, you know, people that were a little bit older than me, he had, he had some high school helpers every now and then. But really, by the time I was in middle school, I was working for him as much as I possibly could. And then, you know, doing the, the work release or the apprenticeship program, as it would be called today during my high school years. But what I really wanted to do was to be an architect, to be a designer. Mm. And so I went away for college for that. And then I discovered after four years of college, I didn't want to go to school anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So what was it about that experience that made you think, I don't want to do more schooling? The architecture program at Milwaukee, you know, I'm very glad I went. I'm very glad I did it. But I was doing, I was doing various things. I was working as a commercial estimator for a drywall company and you know doing bidding commercial architecture the plans were coming in and i was seeing i was seeing everything from like the medical college of wisconsin to miller park which is now american mm-hmm. family field when that thing was built and you know and then like mundane things like blockbuster video and walgreens stores back you know in the late 90s things like that too and then i was seeing high-end house plans that, you know, back in the 1990s, they would have been, you know, 600, 800 million dollar houses back then. That was a lot of money, right? I got to see and experience all those things that other people were designing, which was the best part of my entire college education, frankly. But there was a key thing, Spencer, which was that I was also doing side work. You know, there were people in Milwaukee who needed a designer. So I draw a plan for them. And then they'd find someone who would build it for them. And then I was also designing for my father. I was designing stuff that he was building and remodeling. And what I discovered is that when my father built or remodeled what I had designed, it turned out very much the way that I had envisioned it. And then when these other people that I was freelancing for had something built, their carpenters kind of went ahead and did whatever the heck they want and implemented it in whatever way. And so I was realizing, huh, you know, if you design and build, if you build your own designs, you can make it turn out exactly the way that you envision. And, you know, if you're, if you're designing for other people, then it's up to them. You don't necessarily get it built the way that you had in mind when you designed it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to see how everyone comes around to design build. It's from a few different angles, but yeah, it makes a ton of sense. You know, you go into the, do all the work and planning and then it's like, ah, that's not 
how it was supposed to go. So, yeah. so I'm assuming after you decided no more school, you turned around, came back to the the family business and yeah, well, what happened yeah, next? That, yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, I graduated in 1998. I was like, yeah, I don't want to go for another two years for a master's degree. I don't want to do, you know, three years of low wage apprenticing. And, and I had realized by that point that I was never going to be like some superstar nationally known architect on the cover of a magazine. That wasn't me either. But I had learned everything that I needed to do beautiful residential architecture and design work that, that really led me forward. So, you know, my father, he said, yeah, I want you. And, and so we teamed up and spent the next three years. He was still a sole proprietor at that point, you know, both in terms of in terms of he didn't have any other employees. He just had the, the occasional helpers. And literally his, his business was not corporated or LLC. It was a mm. sole proprietor. So we did another three years like that. And then in 2001, we incorporated together into an S Corp and I became 50% owner. And that's where the company, I guess, probably truly began to grow then. Yeah, that's cool. And I'm very curious. To hear like once you guys decided you're like okay we're going to incorporate we're doing this 50 50 like what were the next couple of years like did it change the dynamic at all like how did it shift things from i'm kind of helping but now like hey we're side by side here <laughs> yeah yeah well you know i had already been involved in in the sales process and in the design process and we were working together with a good partnership and and a proper amount of autonomy. We, you know, created a buy sell agreement. We had a good attorney who created a buy sell agreement for us. Uh, you know, in case there ever was an impasse, and and set out that process so that that there was a definition of what to do if there's something that happens. Because any good attorney is going to tell you never be a 50-50 partner. You know, you just need to have someone who is 51 and 49 who's going to be the decision maker. And, you know, you, you get married, you have kids, and you grow older and you recognize things. And so there's there was a lot of tough times, actually, then that came about for a while. And the housing recession in you know 2006 to 2012 certainly didn't help it at all either. It set my father back on his retirement plans, and he kept working longer than he had wanted to. And and then you hire employees, and you have employee dynamics, and you know maybe things go well with some employees, they don't with other employees. It might be you know one person likes somebody, another person doesn't. It, it can get messy. It can get messy. That's for sure. Yeah. Were there any like one or two particularly challenging kind of decision points that you guys had to work your way through that come into mind that you can share? <laughs> yeah, the good question is the good question is what I what I share or don't share. <laughs> yeah, and I know um, it's family stuff, and the and the reason I ask is that so many local remodeling businesses are have family dynamics, and I think it's it's helpful to hear from other people that like. It's tough. You have to work through it. Like there's family and there's business, and they co-mingle, and you try to separate them. But sometimes, like emotions overlap, and so I, I don't think it's easy. I think it can be rewarding, but it can also be super difficult, and it doesn't always work out. So share what yeah. what you feel comfortable sharing. But I think it, a lot of people will. You know, they're in similar situations. <laughs> well, you know, and, and it, it doesn't matter because I'm sure my parents will never hear this. So I'll, I frankly, <laughs> I'll, I'll speak pretty frankly. And, and I have no idea whether your audience will ever 
know my parents anyway, but <laughs> you know, so 2008 was kind of one benchmark. My parents bought a vacation house in 2002, right about the time that my oldest son was born. And that was a wonderful thing. It was a blessing to have, but, but there's a lot of dysfunction in my parents' marriage. And there was a lot of dysfunction in my marriage for a long time. And there was a lot of interference because of all of that. And so, you know, as my wife and I were working to, to be ourselves, to be our, you know, there's strings that are attached. It's great to have that vacation house and to spend a lot of time there and to do a lot of fun things. But everything comes with a string attached sometimes mm -hmm. and, and, and there is a lot of pressure and there's a lot of dysfunction. And a lot of that dysfunction between my parents happened in front of my wife. They wouldn't do it in front of me because a long time before that, I had stood up to my father and said, hey, you got to keep your marriage problems out of my life. And actually, that was another turning point because I've got a sister and a brother younger than me. I was the oldest. I was, I was the favored one because I was the one who was working with my father. And then all of a sudden, when I stood up to my father that time and told him that this is over, it changed the dynamic. And my, my brother became the favorite one for sure. And, and, you know, and, and I think that, yeah, it's, it's very fair to say that. It's very accurate to say that. And I mean, I've got six kids and I love, love all my kids and but they are all different from each other. And I love them all for different reasons. But there was definitely favoritism played. I think my kids might accuse me of the same thing from time to time. But, you know, there's, there's that dynamic. So 2008, Spencer, is what I was going to talk about. And that was, that was a, a, a bellwether moment where my wife and I packed up. We literally packed up in the middle of a weekend at, at my parents' vacation house, took our three kids, left. And we did not go back to that lake house again the entire summer. We found our spot on the Wisconsin River and, and, and we, we had our sea dues and we made our own life in this territory that we now love and spend so many weekends hanging out on these sandbars on the river with this own group of friends. And, and that lasted for about three months that we, that we broke contact with my family. And that was a real tough time in the business as well. We're in the deep of the housing recession. You know, there was a lot of pressure there. There were, we had a good team of employees, but there was, there was again, favoritism with employees, you know, accusations against me of playing favorites and accusations against him of playing favorites and all this stuff going on. And it got messy. And frankly, frankly, that only went away finally when he retired. I think, I think he kind of quit working day to day, maybe 2010 or 11. And then finally, I think 2012 is when I gained 100% ownership of the company. We had been transitioning it from probably 2005 or six on. I think his original plan was to retire in 2008, if I remember right. He worked three probably three years beyond that and had some ownership until probably 2012. And, and, and that kind of finally solved some of those problems. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, th thank you for sharing that. I know like there's challenges, I mean, 50, 50 alone, but then also the family dynamic and, you know, my family comes from four generations of builders too. And so I've gotten right. to hear a lot of the war stories and internal struggle. And, but I guess on the flip side, like maybe share like some of the rewarding parts of working alongside your dad, you know, and then, and then I kind of want to get into what happened after you became hundred percent, but yeah. it's not all, it's yeah. not all one side or the other, right? There's some of both. 
Well, you know, so everything that I learned, I mean, I learned, you know, I learned all the carpentry skills way differently than my kids are. My my two oldest sons, you know, they they didn't start really learning carpentry skills until they were 16 or 17 in the high school apprenticeship program because, you know, it it's not like in this era here in in 20 20, you know, 2018, that you can just put your your seven-year-old or your or your even your 15-year-old out on a construction site. And especially if you've got if you got half a dozen other carpenters working there. So I got to learn carpentry in an entirely different way than my kids are. And and I don't know if one is necessarily better or worse. I think that I think that I I gained a lot of benefit. I certainly gained a work ethic, but but my my kids have a great work ethic too. They are they are learning stuff, you know. And then, you know, I had I had the gift of already having a business that had a great reputation that I was able to grow and improve what was already a great reputation. Rather than having to create my own reputation, I just got to build upon it and build the reputation of being a design build company rather than just a a, a carpenter remodeler, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean, that's probably undervalued, you know, for anyone that comes into something and is able to like build on top of a foundation that's already been built. So, yeah, that's cool. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. Once you became 100% owner, like how did that shift, you know, in terms of just like where the business was going, but just like from a mental standpoint, like how, how was that transition for you? So at that point, you know, we're still coming out of the housing recession and we've contracted to only three people, myself and office manager and a lead carpenter. And so that's how small we had contracted to coming out of the housing recession. And we started growing hire another carpenter eventually, hire a, a designer and, you know, get, have the right subcontractors so that we began producing more revenue because we had subcontractors doing our cabinet installation for us so that, you know, we could, we could begin taking on some of the bigger jobs again without having to 
you know, be like worried about, oh my gosh, am I going to get 40 hours every single week for, for, you know, three guys, you know, I can worry about having 40 hours a week for one guy, but having a great team of cabinet installers who come in, pop in and get that job done so that we can keep on moving with our other stuff. In the end though, what I, what I did decide is that I don't want to have a business partner. I want to make sure that, that, that I'm the owner. I'm the one in control. And there will at some point need to be some transition because I am preparing this company to move on to another generation of ownership. And more than likely that will be led by one or more of my kids, but it has always, it's literally written down in our company, our company philosophy, mission, vision, values. It's literally written down that, that we're growing the company and we are documenting and preparing things in order to pass it on to the next generation, which could be my family. It could be another employee, or it could even be the child of an employee, you know, considering that I've got other people, my age that I'm not going to partner with and go into business, but at some point it's going to have to transition to somebody else. That's awesome. I love when that happens. And I love when someone like you has the vision to start working on that project early because it's a big project and there's a lot of nuance and a lot of details to be sorted out. So that's super cool to hear about. Going to pivot totally here, but like any wacky projects or crazy client stories or anything come to mind over the years? Every project you do, the next project is always going to be your favorite project for one (laughs) reason or another. There's a couple of very memorable projects, a couple of very memorable clients that, that we appreciate. You know, one was this, this farmer whose land backed up to where my parents live. They, they had, they had him do a lot of things on their home and their buildings over the years. They, in the wintertime, they were semi-retired and, and crop farmers. So in the wintertime, they would go to Florida. And so somehow they made arrangements one time for my father to do a sunroom addition. I think the husband made an arrangement to do a sunroom addition for his wife while they were gone to Florida for the winter. But one of the things really special about that too is that is that the the farmer, his name was Harold, and he he had this one building and he had my father outfitted into the, the this very beautiful small little insulated workshop and I never saw him use the workshop but I what I what I learned about that is that there was some time where where some project my father was supposed to start fell through and and Harold found out about it and he like hired him the next day and said here go do this project for me and you know and that was like one of those times when you know I mean th- that that two weeks of work or whatever it might have been. We made the difference, you know, of of how my family, how my father's family got by, you know, feeding us us kids for that few weeks, you know. So so that's special. And then, you know, maybe one of the most special clients in my was that that we built a very unique lake home for they had been very wise investors. This guy was a very hard worker, smart. He was an engineer. He's the same age as me. And his father owned a company. There was some wacky deal, like for every every dollar that this guy invested in the stock in his father's company, his father doubled it. And then eventually that company went public and got bought out. And so they had a huge windfall. And this guy, because of his work ethic and because he was reinvesting in his father's company all that year, he got like a double portion compared to all of his siblings because of how he had done this. So they spent a year, I think. I added it up at one point. I think that we spent 
800 hours together over the course of a year designing this beautiful lighthouse for them that was based on their their in their traveling to England and Ireland and specifically the Cotswolds and then you know during the housing recession similar to that that project for my father where Harold made work for for him that he had something that was in the back of his mind well my clients really wanted this house built but that house happened to be it just fell during the housing recession and that brought us 2 years of work during the housing recession to just fit every little detail that this couple imagined and so they were they were a big blessing to us and created a really special home but it was it was everything that they were trying to make it they they spared no expense for the most part that's cool yeah i'm that's fun that's fun to hear about and yeah sounds like just timing wise uh, yeah a lot to be grateful for there and so yeah, that, yeah. that's cool yeah well hey as we as we wrap and like thinking towards the future i'm i'm kind of curious like what does the company look like today and where are you guys trying to go i know you're trying to transition but just yeah the next few years so I made a key staffing change almost 2 years ago and hired a different production manager and since that transition happened we have we have almost doubled the size size of our company we had 8 employees then we've got 15 now and and we have been very intentional about company culture and values and during covid when everything shut down but everyone was still working we couldn't we we had very ridiculous rules here in Dane County that were some of the most difficult in the nation but we got into video conferencing we were already prepared we had it i had been using it in the sales process people hardly ever used it all of a sudden everybody could use it but for the company too what that created was i started in order to keep us connected i started a series of video meetings with everybody and we got very serious about our company culture starting there in spring of 2020 and we had and we had discussions about it you know probably every week and at this point we have have a rotating series of meetings every other week we do the company culture meeting and then on that opposite week we do the production meeting and so so we're very intentional about that and that is leading us into the future i hope to i'd, I'd love to have another four employees and another million in revenue and and we are experiencing very very blessed profitability and happy people happy employees happy clients and and we're going to keep going with it yeah yeah that's awesome i love to hear it well congrats on yeah the last last couple of years sounds like those were a big inflection point in the in the positive direction so that's cool obviously the last couple of years we've seen a lot of challenges too just within the industry what, what do you see as like the top one or two things that really stand out in your world or in your eyes that we need to really start fixing? Well, you know, a big question is going to be, you know, Gen Z, are, is Gen Z going to want to own homes at some point or are they going to continue to rent? That's going to impact the remodeling industry versus the building industry. And 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 small builders versus bigger builders you know i mean there is a place in the industry for all of this we know in wisconsin and we know nationwide that we still have a shortage of housing units and and then at the same time we have affordability issues and now we've got this whole inflation thing going on so it's going to be very interesting to see how that all shakes out and and the one thing we know is that there are going to be opportunities that construction jobs you know whether whether you're a field guy a carpenter an electrician a plumber running an excavator 
creator or whether you're you know designing or or in an office somewhere these jobs are needed and these jobs are fun and they're rewarding and and you know not everybody out there needs to go to four year college not everybody out there is going to be a computer programmer or doing web support you know get out there and enjoy the goodness of doing the work i told my guys there is nothing that they do that i have not done at some point i mean there's techniques and different products that they're using that i didn't use when i was a field crew but but when it comes to a hot day, a tough day, a cold day, a dirty day. You know, there is nothing in life that I haven't done and where I haven't been. So it, it is important for everyone to know and appreciate that, you know, and not forget where, you know, many of us came up through that versus some of the people now who just come in from a college situation into a project manager or something, they might not know it quite the same. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, it, I'm I'm very fascinated too to see how the whole Gen Z thing plays out. You know, it's just the the rapid pace of technology and how much it like changes generationally how people grow up and you know yeah it's it's going to be fun to see how it plays out. I guess Abe to wrap us up, just any final words of wisdom or a piece of advice for other remodelers like yourself out there listening. Join the Builders Association. Get hooked up with a. Uh, a uh, group like Kyle Hunt and the and the Remodelers community or uh, Remodelers Advantage gr- get a website and a great marketing company such as yours and live up to your promises and only make promises that you can keep and promises that you intend to keep and when you set expectations right and you fulfill them that's where you get happy clients and happy clients bring success right on right on man that that just like rattled off like you had it planned. That, that was that was smooth. But I think that, yeah, that's great advice. I hear expectations come up so much, you know, in in this business. So I think that's a good way to to send us off. Abe, thanks for spending the time and sharing your story with me. Thanks, Spencer. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.